Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. Here we are in the very place that we've been talking about the last six or seven weeks, and that is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This is where Jesus chose to live. It was on these waters that Jesus called many of his disciples. It was this area where the friends lowered their paralytic friend through the roof. Uh, This is the area where last week we saw Jesus get in trouble on the Sabbath with the Pharisees. It would have been in this vicinity. Jesus knew this place very well. Uh, He took boats to and from all across the lake to the different villages to to teach and to heal. Uh, He would teach on the hillsides. You can see the hillsides uh, behind me. And here we are 2,000 years later and not much really has changed. Obviously, there's the buildings are are modern and uh, there wouldn't have been cell towers, of course, back then. Uh, But as far as the topography and the geography and the shape of the lake, it has remained pretty much the same. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, we got Bibles in the chairs, and page number is about 840 in that area, give or take a few pages. Uh, But Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52 is what we're going to look at uh, today. Uh, Last week, we left off in chapter 3. We're going to skip ahead today, though, and you'll see why in just a second. But as we turn to Mark chapter 6, let me welcome our whole Bridge family, our excited family. Northside crew, our Desplaines, the original OG, our Ranhurst campus. Uh, we, we have your campus pastor around here somewhere. We haven't lost him yet, though I won't make any promises that we will be bringing him back. Uh, but also our Spanish campus, Ola, to those of you who are with us there. Miss you. I uh, wish you were here, but we're glad that you can join us for, for this right here. Isn't this cool, though? We haven't done this before, uh, but we just could not pass up an opportunity to bring everyone along and read the words of in the very place where they happen. This is going to be a lot of fun. All right, Mark chapter 6. You there? You ready? Let me pray and we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We ask God that you speak to us today uh, through your word. This is your word and we believe it is true and we receive what it says. And in the name of Jesus, we ask that you open our hearts and engage our minds. Uh, Please speak to us for we are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, before we jump into this, let, let, let me, uh, let's get up to speed a little bit here. Um, we're jumping ahead a few chapters this week, and we're going to get back into Mark chapter 3 next week where we left off. But let me just kind of catch you up to, as to where we're at. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, you can look at the, the headings there. Uh, Jesus just got done teaching and feeding 5,000 men, including women and children. That's probably more like twelve to 20,000 people. You know, we have the taste of Chicago. This is like the taste of of Galilee. I mean, one headliner, one caterer, it's Jesus. Up to 20,000 people are listening to Jesus teach. And that's exhausting. Uh, No microphones. Uh, The hillsides behind me, as you can see them, you know, you just imagine people littered all across the hillsides listening to Jesus teach. 20,000 people And Jesus is teaching very loudly so that everybody can hear. He's spending a lot of energy just to speak. And then miraculously, he feeds everybody, 20,000 people, with a Jewish Lunchable. It's been a day. And afterwards, Jesus dismisses the crowds. Everybody is leaving. You can imagine them filing down the hillsides and down the shore back to their home. But Jesus stays. He's bushed. He's tired. And we pick it up in verse 45 of Mark chapter 6. Mark writes this. He writes, 
Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, you see that word Bethsaida right there in verse 45 uh, toward the end. Bethsaida is not very far from where we're at right now. And Jesus tells his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake toward this area right here, which means that Jesus is somewhere on the hillsides behind us uh, on the other side of the lake. He's, he's likely on one of those hillsides uh, in the distance. Isn't this cool? Here we have Mark setting the scene, and here we are 2,000 years later. This is the backdrop for where this text took place. And so Jesus tells his disciples to get into the boat and to come here. And I want you to imagine this. It's evening. The sun is, is setting behind the hill. People are leaving, filing down. They're going back home. And Jesus walks his disciples down to the shoreline. It's about 6, 7, 8 p.m. And if you look at verse 45 again, I, I love this. It says that Jesus, look at that word, made his disciples get into the boat. You see that? He made them get into the boat. If you write in your Bible, if you circle, if you underline your Bible, circle the word made. Uh, we're going to refer to that in just a second because that's a really interesting word for what's about to happen here. Jesus made them get into the boat. He's tired. And I know I'm speculating a little bit here, but Jesus is probably thinking something like, you know, I just can't people right now. I just peopled with 20,000 people. I love my disciples, but I just can't, I don't want to do the questions. I don't want to do the arguing. I need space. Uh, moms, this is equivalent to, uh, to locking yourself in the bathroom for 10 minutes, right? You, you know what's going on here. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, kids, go watch a movie, eat candy. I don't care what you do. Just don't kill each other. I need some mommy time. This is kind of the shape that Jesus is in at this point. I am making you guys get into the boat. Peter, stop hitting your brother Andrew with an oar. Just get into the boat. Can you just listen to me? You all get in the boat. Go across. I need some time to pray, recharge my batteries, and I'll meet you over there. And so Jesus is on the hillside. Are you picturing this? Jesus is on the hillside. The boat is on the shore. Jesus walks away from the boat up the hillside. And he heads up to the top to pray. The disciples get into the boat and they start coming across the lake in this direction. Verse 46. It says, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now this area, the, the Sea of Galilee, can get very sudden windstorms um, because we're 700 feet below sea level right now. And so what happens is the wind comes across the eastern mountains and it drops into this area. And because this area is like a bowl, the wind swarms and it can happen very suddenly. That's what's happening here. And so Jesus is up on the hillside, and he's praying. And uh, the last bit of sun is, is disappearing behind the mountains. And he looks down on this lake, in the middle of the lake, and he sees the boat is in the middle. The wind is picking up. The twelve are struggling at this point. But Jesus isn't done praying. Back on the boat, the disciples, they're struggling. They're in the middle of the storm. They're fighting for their lives. They're scared. They know people who have drowned in these very waters from the same conditions like this. They're in panic mode. And here's the crazy part of the story. Go back to verse 45. That word you circled. Jesus made them get into the boat. Jesus sent them into the storm. You put yourself on the boat out in the middle of the lake here. 
The wind is, is whirling. The old boat is creaking and being slammed with wave after wave after wave. Every few seconds, they're getting sprayed by the sea. They're soaking. The wind is piercing through their wet clothes. They would love nothing more than to be standing right here. Their eyes are fixed on this side of the lake. But these shores here, they seem out of reach. And if you were on that boat, in that moment, you would be thinking, why did Jesus make us do this? Does he want us dead? Have we really annoyed him that much? Is he just trying to get rid of us? I mean, Jesus knew that this was about to happen. He had to. He just fed 20,000 people with a Lunchable. The fact is, this is just another teaching moment for Jesus. And he's giving us something here. This is not a warm, fuzzy theology. It's, this is not a, a great, tweetable truth. This is in your notes. Uh, this is not something we like to experience. This is not a great bumper sticker statement, but it's a true lesson nonetheless. God often sends his people into storms. That's in your notes. God often sends his people into storms. In life, there are many storms. Now, many of them we create. Financial storms, marriage storms, family storms, work storms. If you're like me, you're really good at making a storm, messing things up, and then facing the consequences of a storm. We create storms in our life, and we'll never get through them until we realize that we played a part in creating them. However, there are storms that God sends us into that we had no part in making. I'm talking like an accident, a death, a disease, you're sinned against. And now your world is turned upside down. You're confused. You're scared. And it's not because you're being punished. The disciples out in the middle of the lake right now, Jesus wasn't punishing them. But there they are, out in the middle, fighting for their lives. They didn't create this storm. They didn't even choose to go into it. And now they're in the middle of it. And many of you are there right now, aren't you? Maybe you've been there for some time. It's your marriage. It's your job. It's your singleness. It's your health. It's a kid that's struggling. It's infertility. And you thought by now the wind would have stopped and the storm would die down. But it's been months. It's been years of pain and confusion and difficulty and letdown. And the worst part is your head hits the pillow and you have a feeling your storm won't be letting up anytime soon. The truth is, I'd love to give you a reason as to why you're at where you're at. I'd love to tell you why. I'd love to give you full answers. I wish I could. And someday God will, re will reveal that to you. But I can give you a lesson from this story that may be of some encouragement. God often sends his people into storms. We wrote that down. But sometimes to experience the remarkable. God sends his people into storms. Sometimes to experience the remarkable. That's in your notes. Sometimes God places us in storms to experience God in a special way. And storms, as painful as they may be, as exhausting as they may be, as much as we may crave blue skies, storms can be the front row seat to seeing God do amazing things, the things that only God can do. And I bet that many of us can attest to that. Those disciples out there, certainly can. They're going to see something remarkable, but they're going to have to wait just a little bit. Middle of verse 48. Middle of verse 48. Mark records, and about the fourth watch of night, and so this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. is the fourth watch of night. They're still out there. 
3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they're still out there. It's dark. There's no lighthouses here. There's no street lights to, to light up the shoreline. They're getting tossed and turned around. They can't see the shore anymore. They don't know where they're at. Where they're at. And it's been eight or nine hours of fighting for their lives. This is grueling. Yet there sits Jesus up at the top of the hill while the disciples are struggling for hours. What's he doing? He calmed these conditions on this sea before. It would be nothing for him to pause his prayer and say, peace, be still from where he's at. But he's not doing that. He's just up there observing. Come on, that's frustrating. And I bet you know the feeling. Because there are times, come on, let's be honest, there are times that we feel like God is just watching us struggle. Like, God, you, you, you told me to live out my faith at work, and now I'm dealing with this. God, you told me to do this in my marriage. I'm leading, and now I'm dealing with this. Now I got this storm. God, you know I hate singleness. You know it's wearing on me. God, you know I want a baby. You're sending me into this, and you're just going to sit up there and watch me struggle through? You're just going to sit there and watch when you instead could calm the storm. And that's exactly what's happening here in the text. From the top of the mountains, Jesus is teaching another hard truth from the deep end in the Sea of Galilee. And that is, sometimes God doesn't change the circumstances because he wants to change you. Again, that's in your notes. Sometimes God doesn't want to change the circumstances because he wants to change you. You know, we look around at the wind and the waves, the, the drama and the attacks, and we want them to stop. That's our prayer at night. God, change this. God, change that. And God from above sometimes says, no, 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 no. I'm not changing that. I'm, I'm changing you. It's not the conditions that need to change. It's you that I'm after. I'm still here. I haven't left. But I want you to fight through because I'm doing something in you. And some of us have got to change our prayers a little bit. Because you think about it, when we're in the middle of a storm, and some of you are right there, what do our prayers sound like when we're in the middle of a storm? We pray for things to get better naturally, right? You know, we, we find out what would fix our storm, what would calm our storm, we pray for that. God, I need a job by Monday, 3 p.m. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, where's my job? I need this storm over. God, I need more money, so can you just help me win the lottery? Help me to be that, just money in my account. Where's the money? God, I need a woman. I, if, God, if you're with me, I need a wife. Send me a woman. Let it be the next one that walks to the door. Oh, no, another woman. Door number two, right? We, we, find, we find what would calm our storm, and we pray for that. But God is altogether focused on something different. Instead of praying away the problems, we should be asking God what he wants from us in the midst of the storm. Sometimes God doesn't change the circumstances because he wants to change you. And so there Jesus is up on the hill. After several hours, he figures out, or he figures it's time. He starts walking down the hillside. And he walks past the area where he just fed 20,000 people. Now it's just empty space. It's completely dark. He continues down the shore. The wind coming off the Golan Heights is hitting his face. He can hear the faint cries and screams from the guys as they fight through their way through the pitch black being tossed around. He steps off the stand, puts one foot on the water, and then he puts his full weight on that foot. Verse 48, the end. About the fourth watch of night, 3 to 6 a.m., he came to them 
walking on the sea. Now, just for a second, I, I want you to forget all those images and paintings of Jesus walking daintily on a smooth water in the middle of a windstorm. Um, if there's a windstorm, there are waves, this, sizable ones. That's why the boat out in the middle, it's why the disciples are struggling right now. Jesus is walking on extremely choppy water. I like to imagine him making it into a sport, you know, jumping up on a wave and sliding down. Like Jesus did the first barefoot skiing right out here, uh, and he did it without a boat. He says, he came to them, walking on the sea. Then if you look at the last phrase of verse 48, and I think this is crazy. You might even want to circle that last phrase in verse 48. Look at that. This is crazy. He meant to pass by them. What? This is so weird. Why? Kind of overshot him, Jesus. Like, I know it's dark out there, but, you know, you're walking on the water, so you you got that. You just fed 20,000 people, so you have to see them out there. Why are you going to walk by them? He knew what he was doing. What's going on here? Why was Jesus about to pass by them? Because he's using this as a teachable moment as well. And I love this. There they are in a storm. They have the best seat in the house to see God do something that only God can do. And now Jesus is going to show them something special. Here's what's going on. 1,300 years before this, Moses was leading the people out of Egypt to well, here, in Israel. The disciples on the boat, they knew this story very well. Their moms and dads told them the story. They learned about this story in school. Uh, Moses got to see God pass by Moses. It's this crazy story. Moses' face glowed for days after. It's a very special, well-known story. Legendary. The nation's hero got to see God pass by him. Then later on, about 400 years later, Elijah, another hero of the faith, got to see God pass by him. The disciples knew that story well. Two major characters in the Old Testament were put into a position, were put into a spot for God to pass by them. Jesus has just put them in their spot. And now God is going to pass by. And Jesus takes his first step out of the water. He might be thinking, these guys have been with me. They've seen the miracles. They've heard my teaching. They've seen prophecies fulfilled. They should get this. Two of their Sunday school heroes saw God pass by them. They know this story. They should get this. I'm going to pass by them. I'm going to show them I've, that I'm God. They're in the best seat to see this. This is brilliant, isn't it? Jesus knows his Bible so well. And he's using Old Testament stories to show his divinity in a very, very special moment. Question is, as will the guys freaking out on the lake have the composure to know this is a very special moment? Verse 49. It says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Well, there's your answer. Nope, didn't get it. They were freaking out too much to notice the activity of God. And, I, you know, I don't want to throw these guys under the bus. Like, I understand they're fighting for their lives. They're, they're freaked out. They're, they're tired. They're exhausted. It's pitch black out there. But a ghost? Come on. Then again, in the middle of storms, we start assuming crazy things, don't we? Things like, you know, God doesn't care. I'll never be happy. This will never work out for anything good. The only way to survive, the only way to get through this storm is to cheat. 
God doesn't know what he's doing. I should just give up. I should just jump out. In the middle of storms, you and I, come on, we, we easily convince ourselves of crazy things. It's a ghost. They're freaking out. They're running into each other. They're arming themselves with paddles. They missed an awesome message. They missed a special moment because they're in freak out mode. And while I don't necessarily blame them, it does give us a warning. And this is in your notes. Panic will blind you. Warning, panic will blind you. Panic will blind you. You ever been there? Panicked? Are you there right now? Uh, Maybe you walked into church this morning that way. Panicked because of what's going on in your life. A lot of people, and if we were honest with ourselves, it's been us, or it is us, we get into a difficult situation, a situation that we didn't cause, that now we have to deal with, and part of us, you know, part of us believes God is up to something, but instead of looking for God in the midst of the situation, we're blinded by our own panic. It's happening here in verse 49. Jesus just put them in a front row seat in order to join the legends of faith. Like they too, like Moses, like Elijah can say, we saw God pass by us. But their panic made them completely miss out. I think of it like my, uh, my oldest daughter when she was three. Um, she, she asked to be in dance. And so Nicole and I, we, we enrolled her in, in an eight-week dance class where at the end of the eight weeks, there was like this big performance uh, in front of all the families. And, uh, and one of the parents got to be in this performance with their kid. And I wanted to be Madison's, my daughter's, I wanted to be her first dance partner. So for eight weeks, my daughter and I went to dance class to, to get ready for this big performance. And every Saturday morning, you know, we went to class. We did the ballet stretches and the, and the twirls. And we, the, the song we danced to is How Sweet It Is to Be Loved By You. We listened to that like 500 times. And a couple of weeks before the big day, we got her costume, and she was all excited. She was the cupcake, so she had a cupcake dress, and I was the baker. And finally the day arrived. My in-laws from from Wisconsin, they drove down to Chicago to see their performance. My my family was all there. It was this packed high school auditorium. And I had been working with my daughter on all the moves, you know, listening to that song over and over and over and over. And she was so excited for this big day. We walked out on the stage, and I was set, she was set. And as the curtains opened up, she looked at the hundreds of faces staring at her. The song started, How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. She panicked. She crawled up my leg and buried her face in my neck. I couldn't peel her off of me. I didn't know what to do. So like an idiot, I just kept dancing with her uh, on me, doing all the moves. And I kept on saying to her, honey, honey, why don't you get down? We've been working on this. You can do this. You can do this. Like eight weeks of practicing for this dance over and over and over. We were ready. It was our first dance, special day. But she completely missed it. Because she was panicked. In the same way, our Father in heaven prepares us for moments. Moments like this. The prep work can be grueling, lonely, difficult, painful. And I wonder how much, how often God looks at us and says, I've been bringing you to this moment. I've been working on you for this right here. I know it's scary. I know it's out of your comfort zone. I know you don't want to be here, but I've brought you here for a specific reason. Please don't panic and miss this. See, nobody knows this better than the disciples out in the middle of the lake, armed with paddles in the middle of the storm. Verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly, look at that, they were utterly astounded. 
for they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. So the loaves in verse 52 there, they refer to Jesus feeding you know, the thousands of people on the hillside with five loaves. Um, what Mark is getting at is the disciples haven't yet connected that Jesus' miracles to his identity. They, they haven't made that connection yet. They don't necessarily see Jesus as God. And then verse 53, we'll hit another time, but it says they crossed over. They got to shore. And I imagine Jesus hopping into the boat from the lake, from the middle of the lake, hops into the boat. And the sun is now rising. It's morning time, new day. The wind is still. The waves are like this, calm. And the disciples all collapse along the boat sides. They're catching their breath. Nine hours of fighting for their life, ending with a haunted lake scene. And they're catching their breath. They're trying to get up to speed as to what just happened. Meanwhile, there stands Jesus in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the lake, frustrated that they missed this special moment. But he graciously looks at them and smiles. Let's go to shore. And that gives us point number three. I can't think of a better way to wrap this up. This might be exactly what you need to hear today. This might be exactly why you came into church today. Point number three, here it is. You will get to shore. You will get to shore. What you're in isn't forever. What you're in, though it seems like the biggest life-dominating storm, in the grand scheme of it all, it is just a sliver of your existence. What you're in does not define you. This too shall pass. You will get to shore. Maybe not the shore you had in mind. Maybe not in the timing that you wanted. But you will get there. And maybe, maybe that's hard for you to believe. You know, I don't know where you're at, but I bet you got a storm. I bet you got that one situation. And you've been paddling your heart out. You've been fighting the wind. You've been making no headway in your marriage. You've been in the same spot in your career. You're still single and you're watching everybody else get married. You're still childless and you're watching everybody else get pregnant. That health issue you got just isn't getting any better. You're in the same place and it's exhausting and you're losing your bearings and you're starting to believe crazy stuff. And it hasn't been nine hours. It's been weeks. It's been months. It's been years. Maybe it's even been decades. And there's that small part of you that is tempted to be frustrated with God because he's up on that hill. And he's just watching you fight with all you got. And it makes no sense. But it could be that you are in the front row seat to watch God do what only God can do. And he may not be changing the circumstances because he wants to change you. But be careful. Panic can ruin it. Just keep paddling. Keep your eyes open for the activity of God. Be looking for God. And fight through this in such a way that when you reach shore, and you will, you'll be able to look your master in the eye because you kept going and you trusted that he knew what he was doing and you were ready to encounter him in the midst of it all. So the question becomes, so what? So what? What about you? Uh, each weekend, we always take some time at the end of the sermon to, to just talk through what does this mean for you? God has spoken in his text. Uh, the question is, where are we listening? How does this text change you? Uh, you'll see some space at the bottom of your notes, and I really encourage you more than any other week, I encourage you to, to write down today, even if it's just one word. I have one question for you to consider, and I want you to write down the answer to this question. You know the storm. 
You know your storm well. You know that tough, difficult situation that you got. Here's the question. When you come out of the storm and you're on shore and you're looking back on the storm, think about it. Future you is looking back on current you and where you're at right now. How will you have wanted to handle this situation? And again, I would write this down. You you come out of the storm, and maybe this is years from now. Hopefully not, but maybe this is years from now. And you look back on the storm that you're in right now, whether it's a marriage crisis or financial situation, family drama, relationship issues, infertility, health. Years from now, you're looking back on where you're at right now. How will you have wanted to have handled this situation that you're in? Write it down. Maybe it's just one word, patience. I want to have patience. Maybe you need to write the word love down. I want to love throughout this. Maybe you need to write down, I need to have the courage to have that conversation. Or, no, I served. I I selflessly served throughout my storm. Or maybe it's doing the right thing. I just want to do the right thing in this storm. Maybe you need to write down faith as, as your word. But if you're going to respond to this storm in such a way that in the end you get to look your master in the eye, proud of how you handled it, what, how will you have wanted to have handled it? What's that one word? What do you need to do? Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.